If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Uh, well, let's start at the beginning for you uh, and your childhood when you first did get on a bike, because, OK, maybe it wasn't as young as five, but um, you certainly caught the bug pretty early. Uh, tell me about the E.T. story. It's really cute. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess I was about six years of age and E.T. came out as a film and I think somebody had it on, on VHS on the video. And I sat down and watched this movie and everyone else was talking about the alien and about, you know, E.T. as a film. But all I could... Um, think about were these amazing bikes. I'd never seen, never seen a BMX bike before, um, and it was the first time I'd you know I'd been exposed to this this new way of riding a bike. These you know going over jumps, carving through turns. It was just you know it's hard to imagine now because BMX feels like it's been around forever, but it didn't exist when I was born. Um, and here was this new way of riding a bike. So immediately I watched the film, I saw the, the BMX bikes, and I thought this is what I want to have a go of. So tested my parents and you know I said oh can I get BMX for my Christmas they were about 100 pounds in those days a lot of money and my parents being good 50 Scots thought well you know maybe it's going to be a passing fad we'll just get them a any old bike they got a bike from a local jumbo sale for five pounds second hand and my dad re-sprayed it black and he put BMX stickers on it and BMX handlebars and grips and that was my first bike and I loved it and that, that was how I got into cycling so so really I've got Steven Spielberg to thank for um, for my cycling career. And we, we we need to thank him too. <laughs> I love the fact that you're. Uh, I love the fact your dad pimped your ride as early as six oh, years yeah. old. Nice. You love. I mean, it's looking back now. Yeah, I mean, it, to a six-year-old's eyes, it, it looked just like the real thing. Oh. Um, but yeah, didn't last long. To be fair, I mean, it was I, as soon as I got to the point of riding a bike, I then wanted to jump because I'd seen the film. I'd seen how they were all kind of you know getting air. And the trouble was, the bike wasn't designed for that kind of abuse. So I built ramps in my back garden with a plank of wood and bricks. And before too long, I just basically snapped the frame. So I think they realized this is going to last a bit longer than a few weeks. So it's not a passing fad. Maybe he does need a proper bike. Um, and then the next bike was a, a rally super burner. And that was, that was when it all started. Yeah, as you say, not a passing fad. But how did you go mm. from a very enthusiastic, passionate kid to the world's most successful ever track cyclist? I mean, that's a hell of a jump. Yeah, it, it wasn't a meteoric rise and it wasn't, I wasn't one of these kids that you would just have picked out at a young age and thought, well, they've got, you know, sort of inverted comes talent for, for that kind of thing. Because I don't, I don't really like the word talent because it kind of, the connotations are that it's easy and that you just sort of get out of bed and you're good at whatever it is you do. But the reality 
for for anything i think is that you have to you know it's hard work it's consistency it's it's hard graft that gets you there and i think that we're kind of fed this notion of talent in all walks of life whether it's singing dancing sport whatever the word talent just gets overused and i think for kids growing up knowing that whatever it is you're passionate about whatever it is, is you've got a you know an interest in that's great but it's going to take a lot of hard work and for me I just loved racing bikes. I loved riding bikes. I did BMX. I got into mountain biking. Uh, I joined a cycling club in Edinburgh when I was about 14. And they met once a week in, at the velodrome in, at Meadow Bank. And I got a bike there and I just started racing once a week. And it wasn't, yeah, as I say, I wasn't great at the start. I was just sort of plodding away, steady improvement. But I guess what I did have was, was ambition. I, I wanted to get better. I wanted to see how far I could go. And yeah, it kind of, it was a very gradual rise rather than a, a sudden burst onto the scene. Okay, but you have made an incredibly successful career of it. Was there a plan B though? I mean, I know you went to university, so you must have had mm -hmm. it in the back of your mind that if this doesn't work out, I've got another path, or did you? Yeah, well, it was, it was never going to be a career because there was, it was, I don't know, it's like there was absolutely no chance at all of making a living out of cycling. In the, in the early days, there was no support financially. We didn't have an indoor track to train on, you know, 12 months of the year. Britain as a track cycling nation were, you know, a sort of C or D grade nation, really. We had one or two individuals who were successful, but no team set up. So there was no, there wasn't even a, it wasn't even a possibility, even if you had the, the potential, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a pathway to follow like there is now. So if you're a 16, 15, 16 year old, um, athlete now you're into cycling you have the ability you're going to work hard you can follow a pathway to success but back then there wasn't so it was always about you know have your have your um sort of career or have get your qualifications have a backup plan and then cycling was a hobby that i was just i was basically doing it to see how far i could go to see if i could make the team for the commonwealth games and the olympics were the that was the dream but it was such a it was such a pipe dream in those days because we didn't even have there was nobody in Britain winning medals in sprint events in, in my lifetime. I think uh, Ray Harris, uh, Reg Harris was the last you know, big name in sprinting, and that was back in the 1950s. So we had nobody to really emulate or look up to or, or have as a role model within the UK. So it was really, it was tough. But, but the, the, the heart of it all was just a, a love for what I was doing. I loved racing my bike. I loved riding my bike. I loved being with the guys, with the team, um, you know, having a goal to work towards, training hard. Um, and over the years, it just so many things happened at the right moment for me. Really lucky, you know, sort of sliding doors moments where, you know, I finished university in 1999, and that was just when lottery funding had started. So it meant I didn't have to get a full time job. I could pursue my dream for a year or two and see how it went. And, you know, it was, it was £10,000, and that was like a million pounds back in those days because it paid my rent, it paid for my food, it paid for, you know, all the kind of the things you needed to do to be a full time bike rider. And within a year, I was at the Olympics in Sydney and we got a silver medal in the team sprint. And it was just, it was like you were living your dream. It was, it was incredible. You just did it for the love of it. You weren't thinking beyond the next year, but it was just, uh, yeah, a huge amount of fun. So what were you going to be had this cycling dream not materialised? I've got no idea. So I started out, um, I went to university in St Andrews to do physics and maths and I, and I quite enjoyed that at school. But then I went to university and I, it was just so dry and I was, I just didn't enjoy it. And what I have learned in life is that you work hard at the things that you enjoy. And you know, it doesn't matter how, how hard or how, how willing you are to be committed to something. If you don't enjoy it, you won't, you won't work hard enough. And it was, I just, I was having a really 
good time at the university, having fun socially, but I wasn't um, enjoying the course. So I changed to do sports science in Edinburgh. I went back home, so partly to have a, sort of a proper go at cycling. And um, this was about 1996, I think it was, 1995, 96. Um, and it was just, I was finding myself looking up scientific journals, trying to answer the questions to the things that I, I couldn't get an answer from because I didn't have a coach. We didn't have people helping us or guiding us. So I always wanted to know about how to train for sprint events. There were lots of endurance cyclists around you could talk to, but very few sprint cyclists. So I had all these different questions. And I thought, well, if no one can, can give me the answers, I just have to go out and find them myself. So I'd go to the library, get all these journals out, look at you know information on strength conditioning or power athletes from different sports and try and write my own training program and, and sort of formulate it that way. And then I realized, well, why don't I do a degree in this? Because I may as well get something from this. You know, yeah. I'm interested in it, I'll work harder at it. So I went to, to Edinburgh University and did sports science and I loved it. And it was, it never felt like I was like, like a chore, like I was having to work. I was just really interested in it. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink and you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones and join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.